Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. In the studio today, I have a lady who I hope will become a new friend now that I have seen how pretty her books are and how amazing they are. I have Miss Susan Schott, and she is a publisher and recently uh, did a book called Real Masters that has a lot of South Louisiana in it. So thanks for joining me in the studio today, Miss Susan. Thank you for having me, Amy. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I was so excited when I got the book, when the uh, package came in the mail, because, you know, I like to look at these things before I talk to y'all. And I was like, oh, my God, this is gorgeous, because for me, I like cookbooks. I'm a cookbook addict, but I want to touch it. I want to feel it, and I want to be able to turn the pages and have all kinds of pretty pictures, and it doesn't necessarily have to be pictures of food. And I felt like your book hit that big time for me. I'm so glad you liked it. Well, so talk to me a little bit about this book that, you know, I'm going on and on about, and, like you know, how did this happen? So this book is an outgrowth of another book I did earlier in 2010 called Wild Abundance, and it's the same model where we took or they took us, chefs took us uh, across the country to some private duck hunting camps and lodges and paid tribute to the time-honored cooks in those kitchens and cooked with them and then followed up with their own reflections, their own narrative, and included recipes that those cooks had not uh, documented before. So that was a really, really important book. It was a huge success. As a matter of fact, we just found out the last copy is now sold out of 15,000 copies. Yay, congratulations. So, um, and the chefs loved it, and it, it, was, uh, it was just quite a testament to the sporting life and the culinary arts and the relationship between the two, which is very, very strong because of the camaraderie and the meals that are prepared and the coming together of people, families, chefs, cooks, and documenting those stories that must be told. So I had always wanted to do a fishing book because I grew up fishing, And my father encouraged me to do a fishing book. I grew up fishing with my father and my uncle. And so when it came time that I was able to do this, I called on some of those same chefs who had been with me on the waterfowl side of the story because I knew they were also, in many cases, fishermen. And so I started making a couple of overtures, and immediately I think my email said, let's go fishing. And so it just took a couple of those to go out before not only did the four chefs that worked with me from Louisiana in Wild Abundance, they all agreed. And then they got many of their friends across the country. So uh, we went fishing in such spectacular places all across the South. So we're thrilled with this book and with their participation and their enthusiasm and their telling their stories again that must be told. I love how you just said that so casually. And we went fishing and we went fishing and a beautiful book happened. And I can only imagine... If I sat down with, you know, my friends that go to the duck camp and my friends that go to the fishing camp and I said, all right, what are we going to cook? Now I need a written recipe of that. I can only imagine how complicated it would be because my friends would have to make it and write it down because so many times the things that we're cooking at the camp We've been cooking, and it's it just happens, and the food comes together in the pot, and we don't have a written recipe. So 
How did you go about getting these guys to actually write things down and make sure that you had a recipe that other people could follow? Well, that's a very good question. Um, chefs are sometimes like herding cats in terms of, A, I, I guess one of the biggest challenges was scheduling the trips because they're so busy with so many things, not only with their restaurants and their kitchens and their brands and their, their philanthropy. Many of them, all of them are in the community all of the time working on causes that are so important to their culture. And um, then getting those trips scheduled and watching the weather and all of them had friends and family or fishing guides. There was a lot of coordination there. But I have to tell you, um, and, and then they wrote their own reflections. So they had deadlines to meet, which, you know, was a little hard sometimes. <laughs> and then you're right, the recipes. Soft deadlines and then hard yes, deadlines. that's right. <laughs> and the recipes, um, in many cases, like you say, hadn't had not been written down. So um, some are better than others at, at that. But we had a great uh, recipe editor, food editor, who would interview the chefs and help get their thoughts on paper. And they would send us, sometimes we'd get the back of a napkin, you know, with some scratching on it. And sometimes we get, you know, wonderful formal recipes that had even been in another cookbook. So in John Besh's case, he included some recipes that had been in Besh Big Easy and My Family Table. And with Christopher Hastings, he had uh, recipes that had been for his Hot Not Fish Club. So those were all really well organized. So we, they ran the gamut. But we had another chef, Kevin Willman, who wrote his own recipes. And we didn't do a food shot with him because he was so busy fishing for cobia in Pensacola that um, he wrote his own recipes and took his own food shots and oh, sent them to cool. us. So that chapter is really, really special, too. So, I mean, it just ran the gamut. And, and they're also different. You would think that sometimes if you're going fishing and sometimes many, uh, we went three times to south, south, south southeast Louisiana, and you would think that, oh, the stories will be redundant or the the food or the re or the recipes or the scenery, and it's it's just not true. Every time you go, no matter if you go to the same area of the country or not, you get a different story, you get different photographs, you get storms, you get, you know, a trolling motor that didn't work, and you just all sorts of things when you're fishing. It just happens when you are out in the elements. Oh, my husband and I joke uh, because, you know, people are like, oh, you should have a boat when we lived out by the lakefront and, or, you know, you need a boat. That's what people want. And they said the same thing about us needing a swimming pool. And then you realize you get the swimming pool and everyone comes to your house. And I said, no, we don't need a boat. We need a frame with a boat because every time I've been in a boat, the boat breaks. So you need a frame with a boat. So when the boat breaks, it's not your problem. So I can imagine with going out with all these chefs, all those days on the water, some crazy stuff probably happened in that process, right? Oh, crazy stuff. And then there's the uh, pursuit of the almighty fish because you're under some pretty tense pressure when you are there for a either a morning or a whole day or two whole days. And if the fish don't happen to be biting, well, that happens too. So there was that. We also ended up with some chefs that had fishing guides that um, provided us with some amazing spots, but not only that, they wrote up some parts on their, in their chapter about tips for fishing and what kind of bait to use and where to fish for certain species. And so it's part guidebook, part cookbook, and a whole boatload of storytelling. Boatload. Yes. Well, so are there, whenever you look back to, you know, what you've learned, are, after growing up fishing your whole life, 
Are there things that you had these aha moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I had known that sooner. I wish someone had told me that about fishing or that little trick or technique. Well, um, I didn't fish too much with live bait. So that that's a new um, opportunity for me. And so seeing how that works. And then also target fishing, which we did in a couple of spots. Um, target fishing would be um, the Cobia chapter, which was Kevin Willman, and that we went out on Cobia fishing 10 hours on a boat that had a three-level tiered kind of nest at the top where you actually have to sight the fish, the Cobia first. Then you have to run down the three stairs, three-story stairs, then cast out. So that was something I had never seen before, and that taught me something totally new, and I'm not sure I'm going to be a really good Cobia fisherman, <laughs> but it was very, very exciting, and that was fun. Um, the other thing, there was target fishing with John Besh and his um, son and friends at Delacroix. Um, for redfish? For redfish, but the, another thing I did not know about this redfish in Delacroix is because it's shallow and the water is crystal clear. There's some photographs in the book of you'll see a beautiful stingray. You'll actually see a redfish kind of coming out of the water, but the color of the redfish and Delacroix are bronze, kind of copper colored. And I didn't realize that the redfish could have different coloration. With Kelly English, we went down to Venice, Louisiana. We went out 22 miles to the oil rigs, which took a very long time. Yes. I don't get seasick, which is a great thing, nor does my photographer, who happens to be a woman, Lisa Buser. You can see her beautiful photography. But we went right, way, way out for bull reds. So those were much bigger redfish. And then when we went with um, uh, John Currents, we went to Port Safa with Nash Roberts IV, who was a renowned fishing guide in the country, and I know a now renowned name in New Orleans. Yes, I was like, Nash Roberts, yeah. look at that. Yes, and he put us on speckled trout and redfish, but they were smaller redfish, and um, which was a really great thing. We caught a lot of fish that day, and the wonderful thing that happened that night was John Currents was having a, a fundraiser at Billy Reed's shop, for his nonprofit, Move On Up Mississippi, and he took some of those fish and made uh, tacos, uh, trout tacos, for the for the event that night. So I didn't realize there were so many different ways that redfish could present itself. So, yes, I, I think you learn something every time you go out to a different environment or, you know, learning how to fish with live bait and baiting a shrimp on the hook and all sorts of different elements like that. For me, whenever I go out on the water or go fishing at and it's a constant theme that I talk about on the show is, you know, getting to, you know, people want to say farm to table or how the food got to the table. But whenever you're out on the boat and you see the people who live and work in the communities where we're going out and fishing, it just really creates even more of a connection to the fish that you're ca catching and knowing that, you know, these stories and to sit and hear people say, well, the marsh used to be right here, or you see where that oak tree is. Well, that used to be mm -hmm. pasture land, and you're seeing, you know, the water kind of taking over in places, and the way that people are adapting their lives to still keep their communities and what they're doing. And I don't know if that was something that you saw whenever you were out there, but, um, you know, it's something that really, it hits home to me to say, you know, these people, for us, sometimes going out on the water fishing is just something fun. We want to go out for a Saturday afternoon, but 
it's a livelihood for people and it is their way of life for generations and generations. Exactly. Specifically with the fishing guides too, we would, you know, go, go by certain spots and there would be an old fish camp, just the remnants of the old fish camp, maybe the stilts or the pilings or that kind of thing. And of course, Katrina wrecked havoc across this whole area and particularly like Delacroix, um, they, sustainability has been very front of mind and very top of mind for the whole area and for the chefs. They're all engaged and involved in organizations that promote sustainability, uh, wetlands preservation, re, um, um, repowering up these fisheries that are so, so important. And I think Louisiana has done a very good job of limiting. Um, limits are, are altered depending on the species and what needs to happen. Commercial fishing of certain species is not allowed. Net fishing um, so I, it is so, so important that when you see these generational stories that go back many, many generations of fishing, fishing with great-grandfathers or grandfathers, and it's going to continue on with the chefs and everyone telling the story about how important this is, the protection and the exactly what you're saying when you're out there and you say, imagine what this looked like after Katrina and what it looks like today. The other thing I find amazing is Nash Roberts IV has been guiding for 24 years down in his um, area. And he, it is vast. It is the most, it's, it's, it's so vast. There's, you know, oyster poles everywhere. There's boat canals everywhere. And that he can take you and put you on fish and know where they are. There's not, he has a, a GPS, but I think it's it's so old. You don't even you don't have a fish finder. He he's the fish finder. He probably feels he's, it. Like he, he, he knows feel exactly. where the fish are. And that's true with with all these guides, and they are so attuned to every little every little nuance of the waters and what kind of fish you want to catch and how you're going to catch them and what's the best bait. And that's a science in and of itself. But it's so pure of heart, and they're so knowledgeable. And you just and they're always so gracious and putting you on fish and making sure you're having a good time, but also taking care of, of their property and the world's property. It's, it's a beautiful story. Well, so I'm thinking as I'm looking at you here in the studio, I'm kind of thinking about if I had been in the situation where I had to run down, you know, to get the cobia and to sight fish the cobia and to, uh, you know, be able to cast and, and catch it. Did, did you try any like, beer fishing or bow fishing or anything like that while you were out or did, were you doing everything with a fishing pole? Well, I I did get to fish on a couple of trips. I did not do any casting out for Cobia and I did a very little amount of running up and down the creek. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'd be like, guys, you got this. <laughs> because first of all, the stairs are really narrow and they, they are very serious when they're up in that nest looking for the Cobia. And, but, and the boat, you know, is rocking and towering. The tower boat is rocking back and forth, back and forth. Um, but but it was really exciting to see that. I'd never seen anything quite like that. I did get to catch a, a big bull redfish out on the oil rigs, and I have to tell you, I didn't think I would ever have a hard time getting a fish in. This was really, really hard to get the they fish They put up in. a fight. Put up a fight, and it was so big when it got in. But anyway, those sorts of things. And I did some fishing in um, Charleston, South Carolina, and that was in the marshes, and that was that was also a lot of fun. So... 
Yeah. Well, Miss Susan, you and I are going to have a date. I'm taking you bow fishing because once you do it, it's like life changing. You're going to love it. I would love to try that sometime. (laughs) I got a guy, as we say here in New Orleans, I got a guy. But I had the opportunity to do it last summer. And like I was begging my husband for my own bow for Christmas. And he's like, baby, you've only done it once. I'm like, I know, but I'm hooked. (laughs) So I think you'll have fun. So obviously you have to sight those fish first. Yes, Yes. And it's in the middle of the night, in the darkness, with light, in the marshy water, and then you have to aim. But, you know, you're hitting in the water and you're shooting a bow, so you have to aim not necessarily at the fish. You have to hope that with the, you know, the way the water is, you're going to get it. Yeah, And, and so, then you have to reel it in. So is there a safety on that bow? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. I just know that I was shooting everything, and when I got home... I was probably like, my husband was like, you're a mess. I was covered in mud, bruises, everything. I was having so much fun. I wasn't even paying attention to what I was bumping into. Um, But yeah, we'll have to go do that. I'd love to. (laughs) Well, so talk to me about when you're writing a cookbook or you're publishing a cookbook, how much of the stuff in the book did you get to eat? Oh, gosh. Well, I had several really good meals. Um, One of... uh, the most memorable is uh, at Donald Link's um, because uh, it had a very special. He he was there with his father and his son. His son was eight years old at the time, and Donald had grown up fishing with his grandfather. And his grandfather was a legend in his mind, and 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 it is because I, I, apparently every time he went out, he caught fish, and that's not easy to do on a hundred eighty-five thousand acre lake, and bass particularly are little very smart and skitsy. And so Donald said every time he went out with his grandfather, he they caught fish. He just thought that was quite remarkable. And his grandfather used to cook at the fish camp. So Donald has now taken that on, of course. And uh, we had a, a very special meal because they always have fish uh, at the fish camp. And then what would change would be the sides. So the night before we went fishing, Donald cooked us, um, Lisa Buser and myself and his son and his dad, um, a very special bass recipe that has changed my way of thinking about how to eat bass. And it's a whole bass that gets scaled and gutted and beheaded and then dragged through cornmeal and then cooked and, and fried on an iron skillet. And Mom. it was so crispy and so delicious. And he said that's the way his grandfather cooked it. And he said that's the only way to eat fried bass. So that was really special. And then on the sides he had... His potato salad, Donald's potato salad, which was inspired by a trip to South America, and it's one without mayonnaise. He uses vinaigrette to toss the salad, and then he uses, um, instead of bacon, prosciutto and that salad. Yeah. That was really good. And the other was crusty cornbread, Ooh. which he said he, his grandfather made for him when he was a kid, and he made this for his son. So it was really, really special because his father was there, and he was teaching his grandson to fish. And so the cr- crusty cornbread is... Poured in a, the batter's poured in a really hot skillet and then baked, and it comes out, and he puts it right on the table in the skillet, which is so pretty, and it's all crusty and dense and delicious. Beautiful, beautiful and delicious. So that was a special meal, and we ate that out on the deck overlooking the lake. It was magical. I love that, and I, I love the idea of, you know, fried in the old cast iron skillet that right. you probably got from your grandfather right. that has right. been passed down and right. well-seasoned. In the process, you know, of doing this, I imagine 
that, you know, maybe you're out looking for trout, but you catch, you know, these other things like bycatch or things that people would throw back. But, you know, growing up in South Louisiana, we're like, no, you can eat that. Is there anything that you're like, oh, my gosh, like we can eat that? Well, we caught in a couple of places. We caught a few monkfish. We put those back. And then when we went with um, Nash Roberts, um, I think we caught a couple of catfish and they didn't want to keep the catfish. So uh, we pretty much um, uh, it it was uh, we were catching fish to eat. So. It was not a catch and release kind of program. So, uh, and some of the chefs, you know, um, wanted to take their fish, you know, home or, as in the case of currents, to um, to a, a fundraiser that night. And then Kelly English and his crew took us to. He's from New Orleans, but he has a restaurant in Memphis, um, a couple of restaurants in Memphis, and some others in other parts of the country. Biloxi's got one. Um, and there were, I think, eight of these guys, six or eight um, friends that have been friends forever, and. Um, they um, brought home their fish and filleted it, and they each took home bags of fish for that. But they have a really special uh, recipe, which many of the uh, chefs and cooks do in guides for redfish. They call it redfish on the half shell. Yum. Which uh, is really a great way. to It's an easy way to cook redfish. And what they do is they fillet it, but they leave the scales on one side of the fish. So that then you grill it, and that one side of the fish with the scales on is just like a a vessel, yeah, its it own vessel. It. it protects it. So you just you just cook it right on the grill, a little butter, and then afterwards you put it on the plate. It's so fresh. You can put whatever toppings you want. If you wanted to put crab meat or some vegetables or that kind of thing. Uh, my husband and I recently went fishing with Nash Roberts, and we brought home some redfish on the half shell, and we just cooked it on the grill and put a little butter, salt, and pepper, and melt in your mouth. So good and so beautiful and so easy. So that's a, I'm a convert to redfish <laughs> on the half shell too now. So those are some instances of, um, of the way they and we had a wonderful not, meal the night before we went fishing with Kelly English and his friends. We were on a barge that's docked at the at the marina there in in Venice. It's owned by his friend from New Orleans, and that's where the guys spend the night. They spend the night on the barge and then take the boat out the next day. So that night before they had this dinner whenever they go, and it's kind of a repeat dinner with um, Ryan Plummer's killer friggin' cervici. <laughs> and then um, Kelly made um, uh, some, they even have their traditional cream cheese with pickled pepper sauce. And then he made uh, one of our favorite recipes to cook, and one he made that night is crab and tomato salad with avocado vinaigrette. And Yum. it is so, so good. And um, uh, just a beautiful meal that night we had. So it's it's just fun. I know my listeners are out there going, oh, my God, what a great job Susan has. This is, like, pretty cool that you get to go out on the water if you like fishing, you know, work with these guys, these chefs, uh, eat all the delicious food. You know, as a publisher, how do you decide what project you're going to work on? Well, it's there's so many stories that need to be told about, um, I call it the sporting life um, and the culinary arts. And uh, the fishing book has been something I've been wanting to do for a long time. So the stories, they come to me. I mean, the people call and say, I have a story I think we might want to tell. I'm doing a book right now that's going to come out this um, fall on um, 
Arkansas duck decoys, which is one of the uh, America's oldest unique art forms. Called cool. Duck, I meant duck calls. Yeah. Um, that call the ducks in. So they were started in the late 1800s, and these are all hand-carved. And so there's that story. So um, uh, when these uh, books get out, this is my fourth book on the sporting life, a second one, a sporting life and the culinary arts together. So um, there's many, many stories to be told across the country uh, about these same things. And as I say, these chefs want to tell the story in the celebration of the food um, and, and how that the, the, the time-honored cooks are really their inspiration of how their, their food presentation has evolved and why it's so important, the sustainability and the food-to-table, farm-to-table, sky-to-table, golf-to-table. Um, that's, that's our focus. Well, where can our listeners find these books? Well, at their favorite independent bookstore and on their favorite online bookstore, and on susanshotpress.com. And your book, Real Masters, just won an award. What yes. was the award that it Thank won? Thank you. Yes, it did. It won the Silver Award for the Ippy Awards, which is Independent Book Publishing Awards. It's awarded annually for the last over 20 years. So we won the Silver Medal for the South Division region, the South region for nonfiction. So we're thrilled with that because it really celebrates what I wanted the book to do, which is tell the, the stories that are true to the hearts of the chefs. And it's their writing, it's their narrative. So I'm very, very proud of that. And they're just an amazing group of people. Well, it's so exciting. I really appreciate having you on the show today. For our listeners out there, go check out Miss Susan Schott and uh, her book that she just recently published called Real Masters, Chefs Casting About with timing and grace. And it is an award-winning book, so you want to get your hands on it. It's beautiful. Uh, it is heavy, so if you're, you should go get it from your independent book publisher, not get it shipped online because you're going to have to pay too much. It's too, uh, it's too nice and big and pretty right. for, uh, for shipping. But uh, can you give them your website address where people can find you? And- yes, it's susanshotpress.com. And I will say the book has over 200 beautiful color photo- photographs and over 42 recipes and carefully curated recipes from each of those chefs. So we hope they will enjoy it. And we know they will. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Miss Susan. You've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sims. Until next time, ciao.